Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Jack Hoffman. For nearly 31 years, Tico Steakhouse has been a staple for fine dining in Jackson, Mississippi. I would like to invite you to come experience our family tradition of our hospitality, sizzling steaks, and healthy poured beverages. East County Lime Road in Ridgeland, 601-956-1030. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Hey, I hope you're having a great day, and welcome to Coast View. We've been having wonderful conversations, and by now you've sort of got a feel for this, that it's usually one person for the entire show. This way we can get, get to know the person behind the public face. Here's a quote I want to share with you. The most important thing is to try to inspire people so that they can be great in whatever they want to do. That was Kobe Bryant. It's kind of sad, actually, to to think about uh, his passing yesterday. We're going to be hearing a lot in the coming days about the efforts that he had underway to try to inspire people. And I hope, you know, that that quote applies to the show as well, that it's it's a real opportunity for people who are listening to be inspired by our guest. Um, Today... I'm having a conversation with someone I truly admire. Uh, she actually grew up in a neighborhood uh, where my wife Ann and I and our kids lived for, for some time. And, um, and I adore her family. Her family, Ann and I both adore her family uh, significantly. She's actually dedicated her life uh, to protecting children. She's a district attorney for Jackson, George, and Greene Counties, and I want to welcome her to the Super Talk and Coast View Studio, Angel Myers. Thank you for having me this morning. Thank you for How's the in. show been going? It's going good. I've really good. enjoyed You know, Angel, it's been so interesting. We talk about heady issues like the region and leadership in the region and how to move this region forward and all that, and those are great parts of the conversation, but I didn't realize that one of the, and I said early on, actually, I should say this, I said early on that we'll get one or two nuggets from each conversation that will help people, but I didn't realize there would be so much inspiration. I'm really enjoying that. I'm enjoying hearing people's stories. Um, I'll give you just a quick example. Um, all of them share a common theme, that there are these moments in their life that change the trajectory of their life. Sometimes it's adversity. Sometimes it's a single conversation. Sometimes, like in the Todd Trenchard's um, example, he started drinking when he was 13. By 18, yes. he says he was going in for 20 years. He yes. searched for himself, and he found himself. He and did. now he's a tremendous, significant leader he's in the an community. amazing man. And then you have Rick Carter and Terry Green, who own the Allen View. They had one, they, they put themselves in a position to have this conversation, but they had yeah. one conversation that Rick says it scares him to death to think <laughs> about what would be if they didn't have that conversation. Right. But it's about being ready for those moments in your life, whether you've prepared yourself, whether it's training or education or surrounding yourself with successful people, whatever, the, whatever it is. <clears throat> there are these moments that can change the trajectory of your life, even in the most, most adverse situations. Oh, yeah. you, you have some of that to share. I do. But the thing is that I have found inspiration in these stories. If I were going to write a book today, it, was, it, would be, it would be something like this. Your moment. Are you ready for it? a good good title good start <laughs> you've had moments so what is it, it that, that was there a single moment that made you want to become a lawyer or so dedicated to protecting children so there there was a moment that led me to becoming a lawyer um but i've had lots of moments 
throughout my life that have led me to where I am today. Wow, what a great story you have. I can't wait to share your story with, yeah. with our listeners. So why don't we do this? Let's start kind of from the beginning. Okay. Um, tell us about your life growing up and what ultimately led you to, to, to law school. Sure. I spent most of my life in Jackson County, um, born in Pascagoula, went to high school at Mercy Cross. That's when y'all got to know me when I was yeah. in high school. Mm-hmm. I went to um, Ole Miss and Southern and uh, graduated there and, and then, you know, went on to law school and a long path in getting there. But um, that, you know, that was growing up. Yeah. So you um, t- t- tell, tell us about your family. So I have my mom, Pam, and my dad, Jim, and my brother, Austin and Adam. And um, I've got a sister-in-law, Devin, and I've got one coming up in October, Stephanie. And, um, of course, we had Sophia. Mm-hmm. And I have a beautiful family, beautiful extended family. And, of course, my husband, Scott. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm very, very blessed. So a lot of people, and, and, I, and let me say this on the outside, so a lot of people know you because you had been so sharing of your story and your yes. pain and your journey with Sophia. And we will talk about that in yeah, this conversation. Um, but one of the things I wanted people to hear about about Angel is that she had she had already begun to make such an impact in her life you know, long before her Sophia journey. And while people may know her through her Sophia journey, I want them to see the complete angel. Sure. Not only not only what happened prior, and then during those terrible moments of of pain for you, and then afterwards, that you know the the, the sense of how you overcome your grief, and you know why you're so amazing today, even in spite of all your challenges. Thank you. Um, so let's let's do this. How did you how did you pick law? What is it that happened in your life that okay. caused you to want to be a lawyer? Okay, so I didn't grow up wanting to go into law. In fact, I, I really didn't know that's where I was going to end up. I went to Ole Miss for journalism, and I chose Ole Miss for journalism. Got there and tried out for their TV show. And one of their professors told me, you don't have on-air presence. Well, he was <laughs> and, wrong about well, that. Yeah, but it, it right <laughs> to the heart. You know, I wanted to be a TV anchor like Gravere Denza. I don't know if you remember Gravere Denza. Oh, very much so. And yeah. uh, so... Um, Anyway, so I changed my major, and that began a series of changes about every semester until my third year of college, second semester, third year, and my daddy, bless his heart, was just on me. You Mm -hmm. know, you've got to make a decision. And so I was at Southern at the time, and I went and met with the different advisors from the different colleges at the university, and I met this one particular advisor. She was pre-law and I think women's studies, and she said, think about someone in your life who impacted your life through their career. And uh, I took that to heart. And, you know, my parents are entrepreneurs. My mom's an accountant. My dad's a successful businessman. You know, my aunt that I'm really close to as a teacher, I was surrounded by people. But the person that impacted my life most by their career, I don't even know their name. Um, My dad uh, chose to adopt me when uh, he married my mom when I was seven and adopted me when I was eight that following December. And, um, you know, I didn't really know my biological dad. Mm -hmm. And on the day of my adoption, it was a big day. And I was a little kid full of big emotions, you know, so excited to have my dad because he's a great dad and I'm so blessed. And he chose me and he chose to love me and all of that happiness. And then, you know, I had spent most of my childhood to that point waiting on my biological dad to kind of show up. 
And, you know, I knew this was the last day that this guy had been waiting on I'm going to see. And so I had all of those feelings, lots of big feelings for a little kid. And this lawyer took me by the hand and we walked down a hallway and went into a conference room and sat me on his lap. And I looked at my biological dad for the last time eye to eye. And, you know, he told me he loved me and he was happy that I was getting a dad and gave me a two dollar bill and angel pen. And um, in that very vulnerable moment, uh, this lawyer made me feel safe and protected. And so when I think about and back then when I thought about what I wanted to do, I wanted to do that. And so I wrote about that in my law school admissions uh, essay and I got into law school. And once I got into law school, I knew this is absolutely the place I'm supposed to be in the career field that I'm supposed to go in. Oh, what a what a great story. Um, And then it it just continued to evolve. It did. Yeah. I mean. I, mean, I don't know if we, we're at the point where we want to start talking about your passion for the Lonnie uh, Smith Act and how that came about. Sure. But, but, but you, you, you became a lawyer. I did. I started, so I was courted by some of the big firms. I joined the third largest uh, insurance defense firm in the state, Daniel Coker. Had a great boss, Ed Taylor, wonderful mentor, <clears throat> incredible uh, leadership, and loved my work family and was there for two years. And then Hurricane Katrina happened. And you know, it changed everything for everybody, our landscape, our outlook. And I just wanted to do something of service with my law license. And so at the time, we had a friend who was living with us. His house was destroyed. And he came home one day and he goes, Angel, the DA's office in Pascagoula has two positions, grant positions. I'm going to apply and I think you should too. So we both applied. We both got it. And uh, he eventually moved on and did some really wonderful things. And I've stayed. I, I knew, you know, day one, I'm supposed to be a prosecutor. So, so, so when, okay, so you're, you're, you, you became, so you joined that, the, the, the effort. So mm-hmm. how quickly was it before you became a, basically a leader in this conversation around uh, protecting kids? Um, you know, I dove right in and I've always had a heart for children. I have um, always been, Uh, what I would call a doer. If I saw something that needed to be fixed and I could do something to fix it, I've always done that. Mm -hmm. And so um, I kind of had just this natural flow into working the child cases in the office. And the more I worked them, the more apparent it became to me that there were issues in the law that that we could address to make kids safer. And um, do you want me to get into Lonnie Smith now or you want to well, you know, we can. We're, we're about to we're, you know, coming to the, the end of this first segment. Sure. But <clears throat> we've got Angel Myers, the DA of uh, for Jackson, uh, George, and Green County, and we're having this terrific conversation about the evolution of her life um, and how she came became so passionate about children. Um, one of the things, as a publisher of a newspaper, I I got to see a lot of terrible stories yes. related to child abuse and the impact of drugs and a in a household and how tough it was for kids to get out of bad environments, yeah. et cetera. I was also a volunteer in probation at the Harris County Family Court yeah. for many, many years and just saw so much. I can't wait to he- learn more about how you ultimately evolved to get involved in the, the Lonnie Smith Act sure. and we can explain to people what Absolutely. that is. So when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Angel Myers. Have you 
This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back. We have Angel Myers here with us this morning, and uh, what a what an inspiration she is. We've spent some time early on talking about her life growing up. Um, you know, she went. Her, her father adopted her. She met her biological father. She talked about how that experience actually affected her, and she ultimately became a lawyer, and she became very passionate about kids. So in this segment, I want to talk about your evolution as a protector, as someone who was going to dedicate their lives, her life, to protecting children. Take us on that journey. Sure. Well, you know, when I became a prosecutor, the only thing I knew about criminal law was what I needed to know to pass the bar, okay? So, you know, I was just green just baby prosecutor and you'd have these kids come in and and they tell you their story and you'd look at the law and and what can I do about it and you know it's same same thing over and over and over again somebody that we trusted hurt the child child tells will they believe them you know these things over and over again and then we'd see these physical abuse cases and you know they weren't captured by the law and, you know, I, I remembered there was a toddler, a grandmother brought me pictures of this toddler, and she just had these huge black eyes. And I just remember thinking, how is that not a felony? You it's know, not? It, it wasn't then. It is now. Right. Um, and so, you know, for about five years, I prosecuted the child cases kind of exclusively. And I learned um, so much in doing that and saw so much and. You know, one of the things when you look at the law, the law cannot be vague. It has to be specific. But we can't anticipate all of the ways that people hurt children. You know, it's it's just when you think you've seen the worst, something else happens, you know. And so um, I'd kind of been seeing a trend of, of things that weren't captured and having that frustration. And then we got Lonnie's case. And, of course, his family's given us permission to talk about it. But... Uh, Lonnie was three years old. He was uh, staying at the women's shelter in Pascagoula with his mother and his siblings. And his mother uh, dipped him in a bathtub of hot water uh, multiple times and caused uh, just devastating permanent injuries. And um, my former boss, Tony Lawrence, uh, Judge Lawrence now, and I prosecuted that case. And in prosecuting that case, a couple of things became apparent. The first was that had we had stronger child abuse laws, there may could have been some intervention before what happened to Lonnie happened. And the second was we found ourselves in a courtroom having to respond to some pretty ridiculous arguments by the defense just based on the grammar of the statute. And so we knew that we needed to do something about the felony child abuse law. And so Tony and I and uh, Sheree Wade in our office and Senator Bryce Wiggins, he has been an incredible advocate for children in his role in the legislature. And we we're so grateful for that. Um, and he was instrumental in pushing this legislation through. It took two years. And so prior to this legislation, there was, which is called the Lonnie Smith Act. It's named after Lonnie. Um <clears throat> But prior to that legislation, there was really only three ways that you committed felony child abuse. You torture a child, burn a child, or cause serious bodily injury to a child um, by whipping, striking, or otherwise abusing. And so there's all these categories that weren't captured. And so now we have a law that kind of breaks it into three categories. You've got um, the first category, which it's a act 
so bad that it doesn't matter if a harm happens. You got a second category that it's a bad act, but some harm has to happen. You got a third category where it's still a bad act, but serious bodily harm has to happen. Mm-hmm. And Lonnie's story is really incredible because he got sent to Birmingham and he's there by himself. He's in DHS custody, three year old. And it got out on a prayer list at a church. And this lady saw it and she says, I want to go and, and sit with him. He doesn't have anybody I want to go sit with. So she went through all the things you have to go through to go sit with him. And um, she went in and he called her mom as she left. And uh, she knew he's my son. That's going to be my son. And uh, her and her husband ended up adopting Lonnie. And Lonnie's wheelchair bound, but he plays basketball. And, you know, he does all kinds of incredible things. His mom, we prosecuted. She's incarcerated for, I can't remember her sentence, but I think it was like 25 years. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But but we saw a need, and we addressed that need. And, and we did it in other areas of the law pertaining to children, too. You know, I had a case that happened in a local uh, store where, you know, mom sends her son to the bathroom. And uh, the bathroom, you know, while in the bathroom, somebody exploits the child. And our law didn't, our exploitation law didn't capture it. So we enhanced our voyeurism law so that if the child is a victim, the penalties increased and it's a registrable sex offense. And so every time we've seen a need, we have addressed that need through the Mississippi Prosecutors Association. Um, all of these were under the leadership of Bryce Wiggins and, and Tony and, and Ronnie Harper, former DA. Um, but, you know, my heart has always been for children. You know, it's just I've got that mother nature and mother instinct <clears throat> in me, and I've always wanted to help children. Um, when you sit and you have a child tell you the things that we've sat and had children tell us, you can't help but want to fight for them. You know, those are the hardest cases to prosecute because we tell our kids, tell me if somebody hurts you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then they tell us, and then nobody wants to believe it because nobody wants to believe that an adult would do those things with a kid. And so, you know. Is that you sitting with them? We Well, it starts out they have a forensic interview, but by the time we're ready for trial, we have to meet with the kids. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, they've got to tell us what happened. We often have follow-up questions that weren't asked in the beginning just because of the evolution of the case. And um, But, yeah, you know, we sit with children and hear really difficult things. And then we ask a jury to, to believe the child. And the law says the victim's word is enough. But more increasingly, we see juries that want more. They want more than the child's word. And those are crimes that are nine times out of ten done in private. You know, people just don't abuse kids. Right. You know, and so they're very difficult to prove. Um, you know, there's so many misconceptions about those kind of cases. For example, if you asked a room full of people, how many, uh, what's the percentage of false accusations, right? You'd think 50% or more. It's very small. It's 4 to 7%. Wow. And it's very <clears throat> rare in the younger kids, you know. So we, we take a lot of time and we're looking at um, – the things that the children are saying, we listen to the details and the circumstances of disclosure, all those things to help, you know, get the kid justice. I'm curious about what's in your heart when you're going through that. Cause you, had, mm-hmm. you talked about the motherly instinct. You know, in me, there would be something that would be almost make me, I would be very angry 
Mm-hmm. Do you go through all those emotions? You do, what is you, it that drives you? Ultimately? Well, you, you have to compartmentalize. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So uh, justice and truth are what drive me as a prosecutor um, and accountability. And so, but you learn to compartmentalize as a prosecutor. And, you know, I'll tell you, it served me well as a caregiver for Sophia after mm-hmm. her diagnosis. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that later, but um, you compartmentalize. And mm-hmm. so you have your moments. Where you're just, you know, um, like you go home at the end of the day after yeah. having a conversation, and you just go, I, I, yeah, can't believe it. There's there've been so many days when when Sophia was alive, I'd just go home and hold her mm-hmm. because, and I would think, I wish every child could be loved like she's loved. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish every child could be held the way she's held and engaged the way she's engaged because, you know, we see children that. I've never been told they were loved. Mm-hmm. You know, we see children that are taught that when you're loved, it means these very unhealthy, very abusive behaviors. And, um, you know, you, you learn to compartmentalize, um, but it also motivates you. You know, when you hear a kid tell you those things, you're going to fight like hell, excuse me, yeah. to, to hold that grown up accountable Mm -hmm. you know and and i do i I fight for for these children as if they were my own you know but i that's not to say that we don't have discernment and judgment and aren't careful about you know making sure that every allegation we pursue is is accurate Mm -hmm. and true and you know ultimately we're there for the truth Mm -hmm. um but it's it is a uh it's something to sit in the room with a kid and hear those kind of things. It's impressive to see the Mississippi uh, Prosecutors Association has yes. been so organized around this. Yeah. It's, it's been, you've been active, you've been an officer, you've been, yes. you've been president? I have. So the Mississippi yeah. Prosecutors uh, Association is made up of all of the DAs. There's 22 DAs, all of their ADAs, all of their um, criminal investigators, all of the local prosecutors, municipal, justice court, county prosecutors. <clears throat> Um, and then some of their staff, there's about 500 members. And so, uh, I've held all of the offices and I continue to be on the board. One of my employees, Sheree Wade, she's the current president. Um, very proud of the leadership our office has had in MPA, but you know, as prosecutors, we, we constantly communicate about what we're seeing and the issues that we have. We always have a legislative agenda. There's always something that needs to be cleaned up or, or, you know, worked on or, or improved so uh, Bryce Wiggin yes. at what point did you find that he was so passionate on these issues how did that happen so Bryce and I worked in the day's office together mm-hmm. and so I, I knew that Bryce was passionate about protecting kids from the time I met him mm-hmm. and so when he became a senator it was just natural you go to the people you know wow and so um, he had worked really hard on the uh, Excel by five I don't mm-hmm. know if you know that program mm-hmm. but but he's he's really been an advocate for children, and he's really been great for prosecutors, you know. So that's inspirational. It's great how people use that next step yes. to continue their passion. Yes. I've got Angel Myers, the DA from George Green in Jackson County, and we'll continue the conversation. I want to go into your life as a DA these yes. days. Okay. We'll be back right after this break. Thanks. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back. 
We have Angel Myers, the DA from Jackson, Georgia, and Greene County, and we're having this incredible conversation about her evolution as a leader who is focused on not just, I mean, she's been up to this point extremely focused on children issues, protecting children. She talked about the Lonnie Smith Act and Lonnie's story. Uh, she's still very focused on it today, but she's also now the DA. She, mm-hmm. uh, she was telling me off break that she enjoyed her time with Tony uh, Lawrence. Yeah. And now he's a judge. So when you were appointed by the governor, talk, talk about what that meant to you. And you've since been elected, so you're yes. a full-fledged you know, elected official now. Absolutely. Tell us about that. Well, it was an incredible experience. I drove up. I had a meeting with the governor, drove up, and uh, sat across the table and, you know, gave my spill on why I was the right person to appoint. And when he made that decision, it was an incredible um, vote of faith in me and uh, certainly appreciated that. And then uh, to be elected and to not have an opponent, you know, it, I don't have any words. It's just a blessing, <laughs> a blessing. It's a privilege to do the work that I do. You know, um, I've always wanted to serve my community. After what the community did for Sophia, that is just so on my heart. Mm-hmm. And really, the best way for me to serve is as DA. Mm-hmm. I mean, that this is where my skills and my talents and my knowledge and my ability lie. And I feel like there's no better way for me to give back to the community that's given me so much than to serve as your DA. So what, what, I'm curious about this, Angel. To what extent? So you were you were you worked in in the office and then you were appointed. Uh, you didn't have to worry a lot about the politics of things you were focused on doing things and making a difference and prosecuting you put on word i mean you i I was telling her during the break that you know she's such a gentle wonderful person but there's a toughness about her that permeates um so but i'm curious to what extent does the political aspect of your job you know take your day these days well politics doesn't have a place in in my opinion in the da's role Mm -hmm. um now you have to show up at functions and you have to be in the community so the community knows who you are um but it's not a political it's an elected office but it's not a political office Mm -hmm. and so i actually Mm -hmm. think da should run on nonpartisan as the judges do Mm -hmm. because there's really no room for it Mm -hmm. um but you know i do speaking engagements i think it's important for people to know what we're doing in the office and so we've done things we've improved the way grand jury runs and so um there's not a lot of places in the system that I can make a difference that speeds it up. You know, we always hear it takes too long, right? Yeah. And so one area that I could make a difference was with grand jury. And so we've improved the way we do grand jury. We've got no backlog. We're having grand juries several uh, times a month in How Jackson How bad was County. the backlog before you started? Um, gosh, I don't know. Uh, several months. Wow. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we just kept... You know, it was something that uh, Tony and I worked on previous before he left. You know, it was always a struggle trying to figure out something for grand jury, and I think we finally got it right. Um, But, you know, it's important to be out in the community and to speak to them so they know what their DA's office is doing. Mm. It's important because, you know, in social media and TV shows, prosecutors aren't always um, shown in the best light. And so it's important you know, when you talk about the politics of it, to be out in the community so they see I'm just like you, I'm just trying to do the right thing, um, know who I am, and know my heart. And so to that aspect, you know, I'm, I'm always out in the community doing something. Angel, what is, how do you say to people in your, your elevator speech, so to speak, if mm-hmm. you're on the elevator with them and they say, you know, what do you do, what's your goal? What is your driving goal that you tell people as DA? What are you hoping to accomplish? 
I just want to make sure we get it right. Yeah. And so, you know, as DA, there's so much power in that position. And it is so ripe for <clears throat> things to go wrong. And so I am privileged to be in a position to make sure the system works for everybody. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm -hmm. Your case comes to my office and it's, you're going to be treated fairly. We're going to seek the truth. We're going to seek the justice and we're going to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So, so okay, let's shift gears. Okay. You, you, it's fun watching you as the G DA, but there's a lot of inspiration for you, that you've shared. And there's also been a passion that has evolved from your situation as it relates to Sophia a lot of people knew you and I said at the beginning of the show I didn't want them to know you just because yes. of that because there you have so many things to contribute to the community and as we said earlier there are these moments in your life some of them not good some of them good that shape who you are today That's right. um, so just just real quickly talk about that evolution. Uh, some people may not know about Sophia. Sure, yeah. sure. So uh, Sophia was my seven-year-old daughter, and she was perfectly healthy. On uh, Valentine's Day of 2017, she was diagnosed with the flu. We didn't realize that that was the beginning of the end. Um, the following week, her symptoms just weren't matching <clears throat> with the flu, so we brought her back to the doctor. On February 21st, Josh and I were told that she had a mass in her brain stem. And on the following day, we were told that she had DIPG, which is diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma, um, which is a fancy way of saying terminal brain cancer. Mm -hmm. It's one of the rarest forms of brain cancer. And so, you know, we had to start making decisions at that point. None of our decisions were to save her. Um, they were quality of life and, and hope that we got her in a treatment that would prolong her life until another treatment came along. Um, and uh, Sophia lived for, we were told, nine to 12 months. She lived for eight months. She died about a month short of her eighth birthday. Um, I was thinking this morning on the way here that she would turn 11 this year. Mm -hmm. And it's so uh, strange to me to think that I would have an 11-year-old. I don't even know what that would look like to raise an 11-year-old little girl. Um, but, you know, I knew when they said, no medical hope, go home and pray for a miracle, and to make memories, I would not accept that. That that may have been Sophia's fate, but, you know, I hope it doesn't take my life, you know, the rest of my life, but I will spend the rest of my life fighting this disease because mm -hmm. no parent, no child should be told in a technology-driven society where everything is for convenience and we have all of this technology. How have we made no progress since Neil Armstrong's daughter, mm -hmm. you know, she had the same cancer Sophia had. She, Sophia had the same treatment options that his daughter had. We put him on the moon since then. No advancements. And so I, I just can't accept that. And so I started the foundation, and, um, you know, we've just been taking it day by day. And, you know. You're, the way you've dealt with your grief, as we were talking about off, offline, has been inspiring. You know, I, I told you that when my father died, Bill Peden, who's just a noted community leader uh, who died many years ago, but he said to me on the day of my father's death that, we'll, that a year from now, it seemed like it was yesterday, and you'll still feel pain, then two years. And he went on to 10 years. You'll, you'll st it'll feel like it was yesterday, but you will be stronger. You will, you know, there's, a, there's an amazing ability for the human spirit to have resilience and to get through and you've gotten through. It's, it's not the same as it was before, but describe how you've dealt with your grief. Well, my faith has sustained me. 
And so, you know, my hope is in the promises of Jesus Christ and, and that I know that eternity awaits, that I know that there is purpose in this life and, um, you know, I'm going to leverage mm-hmm. whatever abilities that I have to make it matter. Um, but you're right about time. You know, time is so different to me now because it, it feels like it happened yesterday, you know, and um, you do learn to navigate it differently and, and you, you, you do become stronger over time. And, and, you know, I believe God strengthens me. And, but the time thing is, is bizarre because every single day it feels like it happened yesterday. It's right. been three years, yeah. you know. But, you, but your message to people who are feeling grief, it may not have been even a death in their family, mm-hmm. but your message to them is what? Hope. You know, everybody's grieving something. You know, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. If you're not grieving a person, it's an opportunity or a dream. Everybody's grieving something, but there is hope. There is hope. There is a future. There is, There are things to look forward to, you know, and I find that in my faith. Um, but there's hope. That would mm-hmm. be my message. There's hope. And you've uh, you've you've decided that you want to dedicate your life. What it's done is turn turned it up a notch for you. Mm-hmm. You're more in, you're more intense. Yeah. You're more wanting to make a difference than ever before. Yes. So you and when you got to that fork in the road where you could have been depressed mm-hmm. and <clears throat> yeah, you know, now look, pushed. you know, I I am blue. You know, grief grief makes you blue, but you fight through it. You know, you you get up and you do what you're you know, led to do. And so I feel like being DA is such a blessing. It keeps me busy. I get to fight for kids. You know, I can relate to those parents who did everything to protect their child and their child was hurt anyway. I can relate to those families whose family member was ripped out of their lives, you know, through, uh, and, 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 you know, whatever means. I can relate to them and it makes me want to fight harder but it also makes me want to fight on the on the cancer end that no other family go through that. You know, I, I have to make it matter. If I just sit and I don't do anything, then I feel like her life didn't matter, and it did. Yeah. And so we're going to make something out of it. So when we come back, I want to I want to talk about the next steps. Okay. Not in in your life, in your role as a DA. And the work that you're doing on the foundation as it relates to that terrible brain disease, um, just, you know, focus on, you know, kind of where are we now and where are we headed? Okay. Um, anyway, we've got Angel Myers, the DA from Jackson, George and Greene County, and uh, we'll be back after this break. Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Twitter at SuperTalkMSGC. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back. We have Angel Myers, the DA from Jackson, Georgia, and Greene County. That's a, that's a mouthful. It is. When you say that, but it, you know, anyway. Uh, we've had this wonderful conversation about her life's journey, which included the death, unfortunately, of her daughter. Sophia of just a terrible and rare brain disease and we were talking offline about something I want to share with you um, one at one point along in my career I had this I met this man who told me that there's a powerful lubrication to change that comes from pain mm-hmm. he said it could be in your personal life it could be in your business maybe you don't notice a competitor but if you're not feeling the pain 
then you then it's it's there. You just have to be aware. But sometimes it's substantial, like what you yeah. went through. So, so you you basically said that the pain that you endured as a result of Sophia's unfortunate situation, you were not going to just let it go there. No. You were going to be focused on be change, arrested. not let her be another just as a, a, a statistic. So say a little bit more about how that has driven you. Um, you know, I feel like I owe it to her. I I watched her. She endured so much, Ricky. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she did it so bravely. She never complained. Yeah. You know, she told me one day her life was hard. She asked me another time if this was real. But she never complained. And what she went through was just, you know, it's indescribable. And so... You know, I'm not going to let what she endured go to waste. I'm not going to let the pain that Josh and I and our families have every day go to mm-hmm. waste. Mm-hmm. And I would really do anything to protect other families from going through this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you it's like you said, you got one of two options. You can do something or not. Yeah. And we're going to do something. So you talked about there's some research that may be starting soon. Tell yeah. us a little bit more about that. So, um there's four parts to our mission as the Sosa Strong Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. One of that is funding research. And so we partnered with the Michael Mosier uh, Foundation and the Chad Tuff Foundation to sponsor two research grants. One is for two years for $150,000. That is going to take place at Dana-Farber, which Sophia went there first. It's mm-hmm. an incredible uh, facility. The other is a two-year grant for 300000 and that's going to be at Duke University. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, it's promising research, and um, it's it's doing something. It's mm. being in the game and and playing and fighting and um, you know doing something. And they could uncover something that could be the tip of the iceberg that could right. cause big money to come because ultimately that's what needs to happen. Yeah, these are orphan diseases. There's no money in it for the pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. and and so um, DIPG. There, there's really no incentive for pharmaceuticals to fund research. And, you know, federally, all pediatric cancers get 4%. You know, all pediatric cancers get less than they spend on prostate cancer. And mm-hmm. so um, it's up to the families like ours to raise money and communities like ours that, you know, we've been able to raise over $250,000 since 2018. Mm-hmm. That's this community. And I, I, I am so grateful mm-hmm. that, that they just keep showing up for us and fight not just for our child, but the other children, um, and you know, it, it's it's on our shoulders to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing your Sophia story with us. I know thank it's you. painful. It it's is. also inspiring what you've done to overcome your grief and to continue to give back as it relates to her, her situation. As DA, where do you go from here? I know people come up to you yeah. all the time and say, "Uh oh, you got what it takes. What's next for you?" I just like being DA. I, I you know. I, I listen to where God leads me. I feel like he placed me here, and um, this is a place where I can make a difference, and I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, that's good. I mean, you, and you, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> but the political side of that is not, you know, it's not it's what appeals not a, to you, It's is not. It? I'm not a politician. I am not attracted or influenced by those things. I'm, um, I'm just angel. I just mm-hmm. want to do a good job, make a difference, and I can do that in this role. And and DA is actually a unique is in a unique role. It is like like a judge maybe a unique yes. role where you can literally have hands on. Whereas if you go to the legislature, you get hung up in the the slow. There's moving. a lot that goes on there. 
a slow moving yeah. machine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, special interest and pressure. In some, in some cases, incompetence, but but in most most cases, just it's the wheels of democracy at times go very slowly yes. for a reason. They do. But it can be frustrating for someone mm-hmm. like you who is used to doing things. Do it. Get it done. Get done. Doing things. That's right. Um, so in the in the kind of the, as we wind down, I'm just curious. We talked a minute ago about is there an elevator speech you give, and you said you just want to do the right thing. But is there a part of it that says you want to protect the community? It's not oh, it goes beyond children. It's just 100%. bad things happen in the community, and bad people need to be. Yes. You know, so, so the way I look at it and always have is you kind of have these two groups of people who commit crimes. You've got people who may be driven by addiction or mental health issues, people that can be rehabilitated, reincorporated into society, who can be helped through accountability. Mm-hmm. And then you've got people you've got to protect the community from. Mm-hmm. Those are your violent offenders, your um, sexual predators, your uh habitual offenders your drug dealers drug traffickers they need to be in prison and we put them in prison all day long unapologetically Uh, but I can tell you you know I was at Home of Grace I see you got your Home of Grace I was at Home of Grace one day and it was actually for Todd's 20th uh, sobriety birthday Mm -hmm. and this guy came up and he shook my hand and he he, it was squeezing my hand so hard it almost hurt and he was tearful and he said I want to thank you for the felony Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was like you're welcome you know but it turned and his life around it turned his life around yeah. and so we can do that through accountability and so we're going to protect the community angel thank you thank for you for story. having us as usual uh this conversation was very inspiring and thank yours you. was especially inspiring i want to encourage you to go back and listen to this conversation because there are so many nuggets in it and uh and i want to again thank you for sharing your, your Thanks, painful story um Anyway, we'll we'll, uh, see you tomorrow, and have a great day. Thanks. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.